Hey, it's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman Pod. It's been a minute, huh? I hope you missed me. I had a break so that I could go to have some magic of my own. I went to the Arctic Circle to see the Northern Lights, and I visited my hometown in Germany and saw family. 14 first cousins. It was super intense. And I did another training with my teacher in collective healing, Thomas Hubel, as well as many other beautiful things. Visited our factory, realigned our shipping. I mean, it's been a month. But the most important thing for y'all is the work that we did to prepare this year's guest list for the Rose Woman Pot. I am so thrilled with the kinds of people that we are going to be spending time with. Uh, Dr. Nan Wise, who wrote about the sexual brain or the genital cortex, is going to teach us a little bit more about our interior anatomy and what's going on in arousal. We have the incredible hormone specialist, Aviva Ram, talking about her new book, Hormone Health. Woman that I met living in Los Angeles, who goes by the name Eleven, who's going to talk to us about the continuum of discovering and living her life as a non-binary person. And I know that's up in the culture. So how do we understand it? How do we understand the androgyny that lives inside of us and how we move through the world in a, in a way that wants to label, but can't quite pinpoint us. I think that broader context is really exciting. We're going to be talking with Sophia Wallace, incredible artist on clitoracy uh, we're going to talk with Zoe Kors, one of my favorite sexuality coaches, who has a new book coming out, Radical Intimacy. The OG artist, Beatrix Ost, on Creating Forever. Uh, she's a painter, performance artist, and just has set the bar for creating from zero to 100 without fail. We have Kelsey Barrett on the love of self as nature for Earth Day. Uh, she's an, She runs an herbalism school and you know the plants, that there's sort of a movement to neo-animism out there, which I find very exciting, where you start to see everything is alive. Sylvia Gover on deep sleep, Lori Lowenberg on dreaming. We have uh, the founder of the Center for Intimacy Justice coming. I mean, these are just a small taste of the things that are up for us in the coming months. So as an intro to this year, I wanted to talk with you about what it means to be a better lover. And I don't just mean that in like, ooh, you know, get your groove on and be a sexual or sensual lover, but to be a better lover of self, of each other, of community of the planet, what does that mean? And because we're going into what I call the 10 days of Valentine's, you know, basically trying to reset the idea of Valentine's away from this erotic or romantic love, which has so much pressure associated with it. I was thinking about, you know, what is love and what does it feel like in your body? So I was in meditation the other day and I, I was working on fear. Um, like, why do I get tight? Why do I get fearful? And I felt it arise in my body. And then I remembered something that my friend had told me about, like when you're working with fear, feel into what's yours and what is stuff you've borrowed from your mom or your grandparents or your family line. And so I did that and I went back in my imagination and in my cellular knowing and touched into my family line. And I could feel what was theirs and I could feel and, and, and hear like a swirl of mess, you know, all the things that happen over a lifetime, death and disease and divorce and, and relocation and emigration, all of these things that are swirling around. And it felt very gray and messy and, ugh. and then all of a sudden, this column of golden light 
appeared that went straight down the center. So there's like, if you can imagine this pure column of radiant gold light, and then around it are all these swirling energies of suffering and disturbance. And there was such a beautiful pause in that moment that this line, this is a line of pure love that runs between the generations. And even when that swirl of suffering masks it, the core of love is still there. It is life wanting life. It is life wanting you. It is life wanting itself. So I thought about what that column of light was so moving, and I felt into its essence. And you you know what it feels like when you're looking at a child that you just adore or an animal, and how your heart softens and you feel more generous and more spacious. And in that moment, all you do is you want to give, you want to celebrate, you want to uplift the other person, you want to act out of a selflessness. And that's, to me, the core of love that you're in this place of being wide open and generous, like an inner smile has taken hold of you. So let's start with year of being a better lover and the 10 kinds of love that you might cultivate, all with that golden core. The first one is fill a love, obviously, fill, philosophy, philanthropy, fill, love of Osha, autonomy, authority. Osha is self. So love of self. What does that mean? It could be arrogant, right? could be prideful, arrogant, but it's not that. It's to like yourself and feel secure in yourself. Aristotle said, all friendly feelings for others are an extension of humans' feelings for themselves. Well, he said man's feelings, but you know, I'm editing for the uh, gender-neutral world. I asked my friend Leif Hansen, the founder of the Self-Love School, for a few tips on how to build this capacity. Hey, Christine. Thank you so much for inviting me to share about self-love. As I think you know, the timing is perfect as I just facilitated a self-love retreat last weekend where 25 people went through the weekend and 20 people made a public declaration of love through a self-marriage ceremony. And we helped them to come up with a set of vows that they wrote for themselves on how they really want to live their lives. So let me go backwards a little bit before getting to the vows because some of you might be going like, what? Self-marriage? Vows? <laughs> you know, if you could imagine sort of dating yourself, right, in the, the first stage, there, there has to be some initial coming to um, accept and have compassion for and forgive the faults of this person that you're in a relationship with. What I call this initial stage is gazing into the golden mirror of self-love. And why the golden mirror? Well, we talk about the golden rule as love your neighbor as yourself. But that starts with the assumption that we love ourselves. And many of us did not ever learn to love ourselves. Matter of fact, I would say the majority of us grew up either in around families or with teachers or friends or in communities and culture that really has an extreme form of either self-hatred or criticism or maybe a type of self-love that's really focused on superficialities. So self-love that's really radical, self-acceptance that's radical self-acceptance. And by the way, I highly recommend it, uh, Tara Brock's book called Radical Self-Acceptance is about coming to fully accept all the parts of yourself that you might struggle with. And that's not easy. It's just not waving a wand. That involves some doing some deep inner work, or I call plurk, play, learn, work. And that's about 
getting support, whether it's with a coach or a counselor or medicine work, but ideally something that's really embodied and helps you to notice the different parts of yourself that have some trauma um, and that are acting out in certain ways that you tend to uh, reject. And instead, getting curious and having compassion for those parts to see what their needs are and to eventually coming into an inner harmony with all the parts of yourself. So that you get to a place where you're like, hey, not only do I accept and have compassion for and forgive these parts of myself, but I'm starting to even move into appreciation, maybe even adoration and start to see the parts of yourself that you like and enter into self-care and a life of more balance, adding in health in terms of how you sleep and your the health of the relationships that you're in and your food and balance, work-life balance and things like that. So... As you develop a healthier relationship to yourself and love yourself more and fill yourself up with that love more, you're more resourced to love other people better. And you start to get to know what you really like, what you really like and don't like, what your inner uh, heaven's yes and hell no is. What is it that you want to say yes to and what do you want to set boundaries for, whether they are relationships or projects in your life? What are the people that are actually going to enliven you? What are the relationships? What are the projects? What are the missions, the causes, the values? And so that gets us back to this topic of self-marriage and vows. While it might be strange to other people, it's now strange to me that we don't do this. We make vows to another person, or we make vows in a sense when we write a contract to uh, work at a job, But we haven't yet, most of us, sat down and said, what am I really a yes to? What am I a no to? What is it? How do I want to live my life? This is work that I went through myself over a couple-year process. It was really radical and shifted my life quite a bit. I'm actually happy to share that process and those self-marriage vows with your listeners if they're interested. Yeah, I highly recommend taking that time to start falling in love with yourself, getting to know yourself, healing that relationship up appreciating the things, noticing the things that really enliven you and that you want to increase in your life, whether they be hobbies or habits or uh, relationships or whatever it is, and starting to weed out and either say no to, let go, or transform the ones that aren't working for you. That's a really wonderful way to love yourself. Obviously, there's many other pieces we could talk about. We just did a whole retreat. We're planning the next retreat actually to be a week-long one to create more spaciousness. So if you or your listeners are interested in upcoming retreats or you would be interested in some coaching around this or just some free resources, please feel free to contact me. Probably the best way is just to go to sparkguy.com, my scheduler, and would be happy to set up a short time with you there. And my contact info is there as well. Thanks again, Christine, and I hope that the rest of your show helps other people to understand the mysteries and the beauties of all the colors of love. All right, well, let's move on to our second Greek word for love, philia, deep friendship. There's a Harvard study on longevity that went out, oh, it was a couple of years ago, I'll find it, put it in in the show notes, but the defining factor of people who were happy in their old age was the quality of their relationships. And yes, it was having a spouse or children, um, but it was also about friendship and deep 
friendships, the kind that are loyal. In in the Greek, this philia, this deep friendship, was described as the comradely friendship that developed between brothers in arms who had fought side by side on the battlefield. Loyalty to your friends, sacrifice, sharing your emotions with them. So you choose a few people. You might not be in a battlefield, but you know, you're out there in life doing life. And how do we become better friends? How do we show the philia and magnify that in our lives? There's a scene in the movie Lady Bird, um, in the screenplay for Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig, where the character, the young woman who's applying to college, Lady Bird, title character, Circe Ronan, I probably pronounced that wrong, um, is speaking to a nun who's the admissions counselor, uh, like the college counselor. And Sister Sarah Jones says uh, to Lady Bird, I read your college essay. You clearly love Sacramento. And Lady Bird says, I do? Well, you write about Sacramento so affectionately and with such care, says Sister Sarah Joan. Lady Bird says, I was just describing it. Well, it comes across as love. Sure, I, I guess I pay attention. And then Sister Sarah Joan, with great import, pauses and said, don't you think maybe they are the same thing, love and attention? Well, if attention is love, and we're talking about philia, then that is one of the core ingredients. Paying attention, taking the time, deeply listening. Sometimes that's not a habit that comes easily to people. Uh, To be in true friendship, you have to be vulnerable with what's really going on with you, be willing to sit and listen, and uh, be not in judgment, but in support and positivity for another human being. And it is really about time spent. Uh, there's a really great study that it's short, frequent experiences that create the bond of, of friendship over time. And that while you have longer friendships that it feels like nothing's, no time has passed when you see them, that if you're cultivating a friendship, it's the little things, it's the little text messages, it's share of mind that matter. So maybe pick a few people and aim for more than acquaintanceship. How do I be a better friend? How do I show up? All right, let's talk about the third Greek word for love, storgi, love and affection, especially between parents and children. This is the kind of love that parents feel for their offspring, children feel for their parents, you know, extended family. It's like loyalty and allegiance and all of that stuff. It is not always great. It sometimes is like you're putting up with people. Blood is thicker than water. In cultivating storgi, the most important thing is cultivating forgiveness is basically allowing people to be where they are, thanking them for life, understanding where you come from, and accepting it. So if you're trying to cultivate storgi, then maybe it's finding that golden column of light that I talked about in the beginning that runs between the generations and just, you know, trying to give some more spaciousness and acceptance. Ugh, everybody's doing their best. And that doesn't mean submitting yourself to miserable family members who are abusive or other things like that. But for the most part, it's like, hey, you know, we're placed in this constellation together and I love you. So that's the third Greek word. So we've done philousia, philia, storge, uh, narrow, like Meraki, the love of creating, love of creativity, like that special feeling you get when you're down in making a piece of art or cooking something beautiful or building something beautiful, like the intention and care uh, that arises in you, that purity of creating. The next one is the big one, agape, 
agape love, universal love, love for everyone, Dalai Lama kind of love, Jesus Christ kind of love, Mary Magdalene kind of love, the pay it forward, selfless kind, where you're just doing charity, you're just doing good acts because you can, and you're lit up from within, and people need to be fed, and people need to be clothed, and orphans need to be housed, and the world needs a river cleanup, and you're just in this place of like, this lit up, enchanted world, I can do good, I can make sure that others are cared for. It's the, I mean, come on, have you, last weekend I fed 40 people, and every time I made a meal, for four days I fed 40 people, and every time I made a meal and put the food out, I, I watched like this joy in me that came from seeing others open their mouths and be nourished. And I don't know why that happened. It wasn't pride. It was more like I was so happy for them, a joy in their joy. I think a lot of healers have this agape love. So how do you cultivate that? Just pick one thing that you're going to do all year and show up and experience the joy of service. You know, once a week, I don't know, file books in the library, do it out of love for learning. I went to Agape Church for a while in Los Angeles, and I'll still sometimes listen to those uh, sermons and the beautiful music. And there's one hymn they sing, or like where the, the, the chorus is, I'm only here for love. Yes, I'm only here for love. No more struggle, no more strife, but with my faith I see the light. I am free in the spirit. Yes, I'm only here for love. You know, that's agape. The next one is ludus or playful love. Homo ludens, playful man, flirting, teasing, bantering, laughing. This is the kind of open hearted affection that you see when somebody's clapping someone on the back and doing a toast. It's like that joyful way of being in the world. Casual lovers you know, just hanging out, tickling, playing, wrestling, going dancing. When you're on the dance floor and the place is filled with people who are hopping at the same beat and smiling, that's a kind of love. It's non-directional. It's just this playful aspect of being alive. So can you cultivate ludus or play? The next one is pragma or long-standing love. Mature, patient, tolerant, I love the way uh, Eric Fromm, psychologist Eric Fromm, articulates it, standing in love instead of falling in love. Now, if you've been in a long arc relationship, 20 years, 40 years, I have a friend who's got a 50th anniversary coming up, and that is a different thing than the heat of Eros. Although sometimes they still have erotic charge, that's not the point. The point is, I know you through all your cycles, and I stand with you. That fantasy of rocking on the front porch and growing old together and keeping your heart trained on the golden column of light that extends itself through your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and seeing each other through this life. So that's pragma, long-standing love. Let's talk about xenia, a kind of love that is for the stranger, guest friendship or hospitality. You know, like in some cultures, it is a master art. How do you welcome people into your home or into an event or into a gathering? I write a lot about this in uh, the part in the reverence book that's about creating a welcoming space. Like what is it like to bring people into the opening of of your home and create a state change? This is one of the things that makes civilization function 
it's love of the stranger, being willing to see their essential holiness and to see them as you. The, the protocols around welcoming guests are so deeply uh, ingrained in cultures, particularly in nomadic cultures, like as people move through towns and they were on the go, like you'll see this in hotels or when someone's being welcomed to a new city. But cultivating that in ourselves at this time, when there feels like there's so much polarity in the culture, is such a beautiful commitment. Like I commit to seeing you as me and extending you kindness, even if I don't know who you are. That's the heart, by the way, you know, people make fun of the yogic appropriation of namaste, but namaste is like nama is to honor. You're looking at somebody else and saying that I recognize you as me, the light in you and is the same as the light in me. And so we don't really have an equivalent of that in English, which is why it got appropriated for yoga schools is, is to say namaste, you know, hey. I'm bowing to you from my heart of hearts because I see that in our hearts of hearts, we are the same. So that cultivation of hospitality and mutuality and honoring of the stranger is called Xenia. One of the most famous cultures for guest hosting in the world is the Persian culture, Iranian culture. There's an Iranian poet, Sanai, from the 12th century, who says the guest, particularly an unexpected one, is of course a godsend and therefore should be treated with utmost respect. Know him as a gift from thy Lord when a guest suddenly shows at your door. And then Abolgasim Halat, an Iranian poet from the 20th century, wrote, with the graceful looks of my guest, my house is all light, my house is a lantern, the guest a candle, and I am the butterfly in sight. So, you know, this is not just a light thing. The guest, the word for guest in Persian is Habib, or in Arabic, uh, the beloved of God. He brings growth and prosperity into the house. The Iranians believe that you're bringing a piece of your own fate, your dreams, your resources, your your particular kind of light into the house. And that even after you leave, there's an echo of your presence that is bringing good fortune into the house. So you can imagine in um, ancient times, like where people weren't traveling as often and you couldn't cover so such distances so quickly as you do now, that to have someone come through and stay with you and tell their stories and what they've been seeing, um, how blessed that was. So a special kind of love, Xenia. We're going to talk about Eros now, romance, passion, and sexuality. Did you know that Eros and another kind of love mania, which was like Eros gone mad, those were things that were considered dangerous, uh, fiery, irrational, like you were possessed. Eros involved a loss of control that frightened the Greeks, this passion, lust, pleasure. Eros's loss of control was driven by an appreciation for physical beingness or beauty, it was driven by attraction or sexual longing. It describes desire and obsession and is most similar to what we think of as romantic love. Uh, Plato said this was a really vital thing for humankind, that it helped, that Eros helped the soul, quote unquote, recall its knowledge of beauty and contributed to an understanding of spiritual truth. That sensually based love was also philosophically valid and of higher order. I'll tell you this. 
in the languages of love research, we know that most males experience love through physicality, through sexuality and touch. Uh, that might be something that's a cultured, like may, acts of service, kind words, small gifts. Maybe those things also matter to them, time spent together. But for most men, if you're not touching and you're not having sexual contact, it's really difficult to feel loved. And so Eros is important in cultivating the whole market basket of living in love, not denying the body, loving the body, moving the body. So if we go back to attention is love, listening is love, because I care about you, I listen to you. If we go to feeling and wanting the best for the other person is love, and we bring all of these qualities, these open-hearted, generous qualities into an intention to delight our lover, to delight them by preparing our own body, to delight them by preparing the space or the environment, to take an interest in what brings them pleasure, then we enter into an eroticism of real long-standing proportions. The erotic can also have shadow. A lot of times erotic is playing an edge of excitement, of hyper-awareness. That's where you get into kinds of edge play and things like that. So find out if you're interested in being a better lover this year, at this level, at the erotic level, find out where your partner's edges are and play with those. Physicality, beauty, erotic turn-on, sexual technique, sensual play. I was at an event a few weeks ago and people were laying out, kind of resting, and I grabbed a feather and I started tracing, and this is non-sexual, this is just sensual, tracing the outline of a person with this feather And somebody made it sexual. And I said, no, no, just feel it. Come here, I'm going to do it to you. And I did their face and their nose bridge and upper lip and down the neck. And as you're tracing that, you know, you could see like all of these sensations waking up and they were laughing and giggling and, and eroticism doesn't have to be like serious. It did turn into like, wow, I'm having so much sensation. And then I said, here, take the feather, try it on your partner. And this wasn't a play shop or anything like that. It was just hanging out. And so this attitude of like, what experience can I create? What sensation can I offer? And asking for your own, like, hey, would you try this on me? Um, That's, you know, know, being in the exchange is also super fun. And uh, one big part of that is, of course, not despising the body and its fluids and its, you know, weird abnormalities and its aging. Like you have to actually like love it and be curious about the body to really enjoy erotic play with the lights on. And so I encourage that also, like instead of judging a body or what it does, just be like, oh, interesting. It's a body. It has hair there. It has bumps there, you know, and, and just enjoy it and see what those sensations feel like and enjoy it on other people and in yourself. All right. The year of being a better lover. Coming back with the pod for an amazing season of bringing home new ideas in how to be more free in the body. A celebration of all the kinds of love, making a commitment to being a better lover. Thanks for joining me on The Rose Woman. I wish you infinite kinds of expanded, open-hearted sensation in your being where you lose all self-consciousness and you're just in your generous, beautiful golden light. I wish you love of all the kinds to be it, to do it, to feel it, to inhabit it. If you'd like to read more 
about living in love and reverence and ritual and creating positive healing in loving and understanding your body as perfect nature, please come and visit me at rosewoman.com and go to books and you'll find all kinds of supports for that. You can also come and join us in a live program. We're going to be doing a live program this Friday at a certain age pod on Instagram. If you want to come over, we're going to talk about reverence there. Just follow a certain age pod, my friend Katie. And if you'd like to join us live, we're going to be doing an event in Hawaii in the spring. So just follow Rosebud Woman and be on the lookout for that. Okay, take care. Please share this if you found anything in it that would turn you on for Valentine's Day or beyond. And if you like the show, please rate and review. Love you. Have a great day.